Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bottega Podcast. Today we're going to be chatting about what it takes to go from being just a good drummer to being a good musician. Yeah, something we're still striving for. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Uh, and so I guess to begin, it's worth um, mentioning that obviously a drummer is a musician, but we're talking specifically about uh, someone that's playing in a band and um, someone that goes from just mucking around in their, their bedroom or their rehearsal space to someone that's an yeah. asset to, a, to an ensemble of any kind. Yeah. But I guess our experience is more down the pop sort of alternate field. Uh, yeah. And then it would, it would differ. Someone's experience would differ if they were in a completely different field. Yeah. That's sort of where we'll, well be I guess it's from. just a, a band dynamic that we're kind of referring to. And genre, I mean, I guess this relates to all genres, but I guess like we can't speak into yeah. being in a punk band or a metal band. It's been band. a while since you were in that metal <laughs> band, hey. I, we, I used to play some pretty heavy music. Did you? But not like metal. Did you have a double like, kick? I did, but I didn't. I never actually played it. <laughs> <laughs> you just bought it, yeah. sat it there, set yeah. it up. Yeah. You had to put your hi-hat pe- pedal in an awkward <laughs> position to have this double kick pedal there that you weren't going to touch. Well, it's not like... Like I practiced on it, but I never actually like used it in songs. I kind of also had a thing about it. I thought it was cheating. Oh, really? I mean? Yeah. I was kind of like eh, using a double kick is like cheating. But I also, I remember watching like John Blackwell videos. Yeah. And he was like an avid single kick user and could go super fast. Mm. So I was like, I should just do that. And my left foot just be for my hi-hat. Yeah. But, a purist, some yeah. would say. <laughs> In hindsight, but then I watch videos of like, I don't know if you know Louis Belson. No. I've got to show you later. He's yeah. like an old, I think he's one of the first people to play double kick. Okay. So like old school, two bass drums. What like era is this? Jazz guys. What decade? Like, I don't want to, maybe 50s, 60s. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Like it's like Buddy Rich. Yeah. He's kind of on the Buddy Rich level in right. terms of like- his not the same fan. I don't even know. I'm probably starting arguments, but he he was kind of like the innovator of the double bass. Wow. Yeah. What did and he so do? I used like, to watch did him. he Jimmy rig some? No, he seen- just put two bass drums. Oh, of course. Yeah. So it was like so cool. proper double kick. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know how we. Got- yeah. Oh, talking about metal. I used to play, but thought it was like cheating. And then I used to watch videos of Louis Belson and kind of be like, oh, I guess there's like a lot of skill in it. Yeah. And then I would try and play double kick and be like, yeah, there's actually a lot of skill in it. I, like, yeah. I'm not very good at this. Do you know what? You just reminded me by explaining how it was done with the with two kick pedals, yeah. sorry, two kick drums. I did that as well. When I was, you did two kick I, drums. I remember one of my first kits was a Tama Swingstar. And then Sick. my upgrade was buying a friend's Tama Rockstar and just joining the two kits together. And so I remember one time I had both the kicks sitting there. It's so, so awkward, good. but it's it was pretty. It'd badass. be so hard to do, like, and your snare ends up in the middle. Yeah, I mean, your snare is in the middle anyway, but you know what I mean. Where do you put your snare? No, but it's like your hi hat is like so much know, further over. If you've got, if you actually have two kick drums, then it's not just you trying to fit in a pedal. It's kind of like the actual drum would be in the way of your hi hat. Yeah, there's a whole Speaking lot of, of that whole stuff. Like, the breadth of a kit. I was, I've been playing with just two toms for a while now, and then I put a third tom you on the minimized. other day. Yeah, and I put a third tom on the other day, and I'm like, gosh, it's far around here <laughs> to the right. Like I was stretching my body around and stuff. I've often thought about that because I mean we play with our SPDs like over our kick, yeah. and we've talked about it in terms of clamping and, yeah. and the issues. I've kind of thought about moving it to the left because I think I might want to go. Back to... Whoa, wait a minute. You're going to go like 12, 13 or like 13, 14? Maybe. I'm thinking about it. Jeez. Thinking about it. You know that that pushes your ride even further up. Yeah, I know. I play with my ride pretty high anyway. Like... Oh, still. 
I know. I, feel I like just said I'm thinking about it. I didn't like. You I'm should not do it. Change the world, but like maybe George can you get Daniel rid of a from, ride? Do you need to ride? Yeah, yeah. When I you play want? it a lot. Do you? Yeah, do, I do a lot do you, of do like you bell stuff. Okay. So, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like I haven't hit the bell in years. Yeah, I play a fair bit of bell in in a few songs, which is cool. It's fun, Brendan but it's also Tan, vibey. Our friend Brendan Tan messaged me the other day, and he's like talking about this ride, and he's like, "Oh yeah, like you got to be able to reach." The, yeah, <laughs> he's like, "You got to be able to reach the bell." And I was like, "When are you Why? striking the bell, bro?" <laughs> he's like, "Oh, pretty much sound check." Like, okay, it makes sense. <laughs> I miss the bell. I yeah. I played. I definitely play it every show. There's a part. There's, there's part. You. There's two songs which have parts in it. And is it the neck? Like you'd only hit the bell shoulder. with the shoulder. Eh? Yeah. yeah. I don't. There's no yeah. tipping it. No. Go hard. Go do home. you tip the ride, or do you yeah. shoulder the ride just in general? I no, guess the I ride. Tip it. Like- I. I rarely. No. I'll occasionally crash my ride, but I'm using it a lot more as a ride. Mm. Than I have in other settings. Yeah. And I've got my right crash. And is that has that been your deal for a long time? Mm, or I used to crash my ride. Like yeah, a lot more. But I, I used to like almost exclusively crash my ride. Yeah. But now I'm trying my hardest to flip it on its head and and tip it. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard because hit with the head of the stick. Yeah. Instead of the shoulder. Yeah, I still hit it with the shoulder. I reckon probably more than I hit it with the tip. Yeah. I'm trying to hit it with the tip more. Yeah, because it's just it's actually probably just softer and less washy and less. I guess it's quieter in yeah. general. And I think oh, I'm fortunate enough actually to when I'm away on tour and stuff, I have a ride mic. I don't know if uh, it's used yeah. in front of house. I think it is. Actually, it's 100 percent used in front of house. Yeah. Because the front of house engineer comes up and is like particular about how he wants it set up. So he's definitely using it. But uh, that allows me to be more dynamic on my ride. Because totally. in the past, I've struggled to hear it loud enough. Yeah. Because it is. it tends to be, for me, it's always been darker and then sometimes even washier. And, so, and then it's further away from the mic than the crashes that surround it. Yeah. And so they poke out more in my mix when you go to it you're like oh where is it so you hit it harder yeah but with a ride mic i'm lucky i can actually like have my ride mic up in my ears and yeah and stick, hit it with the tip. <laughs> i'm smiling because it's like we always get in we're talking about <laughs> not just being drummers and yeah. as soon as we start talking about drums we're like oh how good's um, drums <laughs> yeah legitimately um okay but we should chat about uh let's let's start with talking about um I guess just like a couple of things about what a musician is because obviously we know what a drummer is. A drummer hits the drums yeah. however well. I feel like drummers get a lot of flack for... Yeah. There's a lot of jokes about yeah. drummers not being musicians. And this podcast is not about that joke. <laughs> this is about... And this could be applied to any musician. It doesn't. It's not just for a drummer. It's really how to, how to go from being someone that's capable of playing your instrument yeah. to someone who's capable of bringing that skill into yeah. a band setting or, or an ensemble setting yeah. and being a, a valuable member of that team. Yeah. Well, we've always talked about that kind of being the end goal yeah. of music in general to be playing with people. Yeah. And so I think I would, I guess I'd classify it as like what makes someone a musician more than say a drummer or a guitarist or a, a pianist that it's like they are now a musician. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, and I guess it comes the end result of that, unless you're like a virtuoso, which they're still awesome to watch and go and see, but that they still play and interact with other yeah. instruments yeah. and people. So sometimes I, it's pre-recorded, sometimes it's there, <laughs> but either way it's yeah. important. It's just as important either way. Yeah. I, th- I think I would classify that as a musician, right? 100%. Yeah. No question. Because it's it's about, as I just said, it's about the interaction with those other components of the music that you're making. Yeah. So you're talking about- It's a tough one because I'm like now, like I've gone and seen like Herbie Hancock and um, Chick Corea and it's like they're soloists, but I would call them a musician. But Were you- they playing alone? Yeah. Well, Just, actually, they played together, but that's what I mean. I know that they do play alone. Like you go and you see someone, or like a singer songwriter, and they'll just be by themselves. Yeah, it's. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, someone could argue then that if they've got a piano 
that they're playing and singing, then some of what I'm kind of getting there's at or that things. we're getting at is that there's two things there yeah. interacting. Two but different I, skills even. I guess people do go and see solo instrumentalists. Yeah. And I have seen them. And so it's like... Well, okay. But this is part of what we're I guess if we're bringing, trying to define you, what a musician If is. someone was there bringing just their, their vocals or just their, um, their acoustic guitar, there's still so many ways that they can be a beautiful musician and are not just a guitarist. Yeah. And I think that some of the things that we're going to chat about do pertain to those people too and they do influence the way that that individual plays their instrument. I guess it's also an interaction with the crowd. Yep. There's a difference That's certainly one between thing. someone playing in front of people and bringing something that, that they have worked on yeah. as opposed to sitting in their bedroom or a studio. Yeah. But as a drummer, I think probably the, the best place to start is, is like a pocket and yeah. often that, that's um, together with a bass player. Yeah. And so uh, off the bat, I think it's really helpful if you can have a relationship with your bass player. Um, and that's really- more like a friendship, you know, like yeah. um, know them and uh, have have some interaction with them where, you know, like the better mates you are with them, I think that the um, the more that that shines through your playing. Yeah. That's a bit of a, a silly one to start with, but I think no, it's, I it's always it. been something that I've valued. And I feel like I see the difference when I post someone I don't really know. And sometimes that happens. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's like a, it's you like- You can read an, people- it's one of those things that um, like when it happens, you can read people's facial expressions. Yeah. You know, like I had a mate that we used to play together all the time. And it, so it's one of those things like when you're playing with people and not even playing with people, like you were saying, like when you get to know people beyond like playing with them live, you're able to then read them. Yeah. And so I, in, a, in a, I guess my first band... There's a mate I played with. He played guitar and bass. And I mean, he's crazy, crazy, crazy good. Mm. Rob Badman is his name. Cool. And so we were such like good the mates. Man. The bad man. <laughs> he was such good mates, like not just from a music perspective. Yeah. That when we did play music, I'd be able to read him so well. And he would like just look at me and we'd be like, cool. Yeah. I know we're going here. I know this is happening. Yeah. Or I know you didn't like that if we're writing yeah. or I know you did like that. So I'll do something yeah. like that. Again. That's an essential you know part I mean? of musicianship. And that's what I mean. When you're talking about actually getting to know people, there's this unspoken thing that when you're actually communicating with your instrument, you're, you're able to have a better conversation, put it yeah. that way. And it's not awkward of like, Oh, hi, how, what are you doing? Like, yeah, exactly. And so I guess from a band or a musician perspective, it's being able to communicate clearly with your instrument be able to listen to people with your own instrument yeah. and then adjust accordingly. Yeah. It's what separates, I guess, the whole like musician virtuoso thing. If you can have a conversation with someone smoothly with your instrument, you become a, or I guess you're more of a proficient musician. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas say you can play your instrument really well, but you can't hop into a setting with someone else and converse with what you're doing, then it reduces or limits your ability to make great music totally. with other people, which I think is key. Like it's kind of all music is, is connecting people, whether it's the musicians or, you know, even a DJ to a, a crowd. Yeah. It's all about the connection and music is the facilitator of that connection. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess that's the thing with musicians. What separates is the uh, instrumentalist from a musician is the connection. Yeah, or definitely. lack of. And I think that you often find yourself anticipating something on stage. I think if you can communicate that well, yeah. then you're exerting musicianship. Uh, different members of the band, of different bands, have different responsibilities. And in some of the bands I've played in, uh, the drums have been partly responsible for dynamic instruction or dynamic yeah. change or whatever, you, however you want to call it. Um, and the, there's been various ways that I've tried to convey that. And over the years, I feel like I've gotten better at that. And I think f- for me, that's one thing that sets apart me as a drummer as opposed to me as a musician. My ability to 
literally, oh, sorry, not literally, to uh, say to the band, let's go, let's repeat this section or let's yeah. go to this section. My ability to do that without words yeah. is, um, is partly what, makes me a musician i think and yeah. and, and um as opposed to just a drummer because uh a drummer can play all the parts but can they speak off the cuff in a moment yeah. to convey a message yeah and that's one thing that i really value um in in a bandmate or in just anyone on, on stage yeah uh and i think that the the more capable they are of doing that the better and that's that's a really quite a hard thing to learn because um, there's no science, there's no maths that can say this is how you do that. Yeah. It actually, I feel feeling. like it often comes from the heart, like it's feel, like you say. Yeah. Um, but one way to to learn how to do that, I think is uh, watch live bands play, but watch not from a position of trying to be entertained, but watch from a, a position of trying to learn and, and observe the um, the intricacies of how, just say, for example, a drummer goes from... Uh, a down section to an up section or yeah. goes to a double chorus or how do they end a song? How do they, how do they show the band? You know, different bands again, do, do different things. And some bands are well rehearsed and they're, they're not as uh, they're not in as much need to um, rely on off the cuff sort of changes or direction, but yeah. some are. And I think anyone that finds themselves in a bar with a band playing um, a riff that they practiced, but not necessarily a structure that they practiced. Yeah. Or they're doing a cover totally. of a song that they like. They're playing Hotel California, but yeah. that doesn't mean they know the structure, right? That song could go for ages. <laughs> um, being able to uh, read the way that the the um, the singer or the pianist or whoever is um, is trying to say, look, we're going to go into this section now, and you yourself being able to show that if, if it's your chance to lead or if you want to take a, take a gap, yeah. being able to convey that is important in being a musician. Totally. And you like that happens all the time in jazz. Even like going back to when I saw Herbie Hancock and Chick Corea, there'd be yeah, times- right, You've seen Herbie Hancock. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You got so devastated immediately. Well, I have seen them and they were amazing. <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm okay. very jealous. Okay, I won't say what I was going to say. Well, I think now I'm you joking. should. Okay. okay. So, like in terms of like reading cues from people, mm. a lot of that, even from a, a musician point of view, happens all the time in jazz. And that's what I was say about Herbie Hancock and Chick Corea, that they'd be improvising like completely what you see as random but it's a succinct train of thought for mm. them. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're back in together yeah, on, nice. on the main hook. And you're it's like, amazing. what the heck? How did that happen? And it's, it's even different seeing them on two pianos do that because like other times you'd have like, like take Spain, right? The song Spain where it's like you see people solo and then they come back in on the ba 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 ba. Uh, but like there's this musical cue to kind of tell the band this is where we're going or it would be like okay we're doing 12 bars you solo for 12 bars and then someone else will solo for 12 or you know this yeah. pre-agreed upon amount yeah. depending upon the the song but with Chick Corea and Herbie Hancock they were really really smart and listening to each other so intently that in the solo would be things to cue them going, we're codes. going back here. Yeah. It's literally really? like code. So you'd, you'd hear this thing and you'd start to pick up on it, but it's because it's completely improvised. It's quite hard for you to hear. Yeah. And then that would be li then leading into, okay, we're going back into the, the main motif of the song. So sick. And then play the motif. And then after 16 bars, whatever, you're going to then solo. And that would solo... And it could, there was no, that's the thing. There's no time frame on this thing. There's no thing keeping them in time. There's no drummer counting bars, you know? Yeah. It's literally them just playing off of each other and having these yeah. musical cues. So they're waiting for those cues. Yeah. Like, it's pretty cool. This, I guess this, hearing us talk about this, I feel like it's a pretty deep concept. Yeah. I think we're trying to just cover it briefly and shallowly, but is shallowly a word? Uh, yeah, I we're guess. We're covering it. From a 
shallow in the shallow side of the pool. <laughs> but um, I mean, we could talk about it for ages. I feel like it would actually help a lot of people if we did. But for the sake of this podcast, we should. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's a pretty hectic concept for me. Totally. I feel like I feel it's weighty. I feel like it's really important. Yeah, and that's why I want to mention it and encourage it to to musicians out there to know that they actually have that capacity. And they can they can uh, learn that and develop that skill, and they're they're gonna be a much better musician. Yeah. But I feel like it's, um, I don't know. You're talking about the the way they do that. It's brilliant, but it's it comes. You have to it's practice. To you have to practice yeah. really hard. You have to you have to develop the language. Like how how does a drummer how does a drummer show that they're they're like this is the last bridge? I have my ways of doing that. Yeah. But my ways are ever changing. Um, based on what's successful and what's not, yeah, and um, based on years of already trying different stuff. There's you know? also, I mean, you, when you're touring and and some of the music that you play live, it has that freer form. Yeah. Whereas I don't. Yeah. Like, I, mine is like completely to track. This is how the song goes, and yeah. if we're going to vary the form, we'll generally do it in a rehearsal prior and workshop that. Sick. And so it's not. But then, so the, the communication is different. Yeah. But so the musicianship for you is actually rehearsed, but it's no less musicianship. Totally. Yeah, I didn't think about it like that because in my head, I'm trying to be like, well, what about for the people that like the structures are set? Yeah. They come in, they learn their parts, they get in, they get out. But they're set because you guys are musicians and you understand what you need to do in relation to what the bass player is doing in relation to what the keys player is doing yeah. to get the message across. And there's no reason for you, well, unless there is a reason, but I'm saying there's no hard and fast reason for any musician to have to do that off the cuff. Yeah, You can, um, you can rehearse it and plan for it and it can still be beautiful and, um, and, in- and intended. Yeah, you know, it has it can it can become coming from a place of intention. Yeah, and musicality. Yeah, I guess that's it's just varying levels of pre- preparedness, but I reckon it's also worth talking about where you sit on a beat. Yeah, because a drummer can sit in front of a practice pad and practice paradiddles at a certain tempo, and they can be robotic, and that yeah. can be cool and important. But when you jump in with a band. Oh, you're, you've no, got something No, no, no. Yeah, something popped in my head. Keep, no, continue. No. Okay. Uh, and so I think that it's worth discussing us together about um, why it's important to recognize that you can sit in different um, places in relation to the metronome. Yeah. And how to, how to handle that. Yeah. Because you could sit in your room practicing by yourself and you can move around, but as soon as you, and, uh, sorry, move around the beat. But then, as soon as you jump on with the bass player, um, it's different. You don't. You actually can't. Well, I mean, in my experience, I can't just go wherever I want to go. Yeah, and that be fine, and, and be like, "Oh, I'm in my pocket." Yeah, because the pocket is actually drums and bass together. It's actually the band together, but oh, you know, drums and bass at, at um, are foremost together. And so you can't just be like, "Oh, this verse, I'm going to be sitting back, and then I'm just going to drive straight forward yeah. for the chorus." And just expect. And good bass players will catch that, and that's cool. But um, I think that having a chat. Um, and again, having a relationship with the bass player where, where, where you've um, either discussed it or you just kind of read each other really well. Mm. Uh, but that's the ideal is, is actually going there together. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I th- uh, again, for me, like I don't play all the bass for me playing live is track. Right. So then you, again, this is exa- another example of um, the different ways for a drummer to be musical and mm. to play with the elements that are contributing to the music yeah. as a whole. And I do it with a bass player most of the time and you have to do it with pre-recorded tracks, but that doesn't mean that doesn't make it. Well, any it doesn't less- change groove. No, that's the, that's the thing that I, I have found is like, there's still times where I will play ahead or like some songs are kind of like right on top of the beat and other things I can pull back on and knowing when and where I can do that is really, really important. How do you know when and where? Again, it's so hard. To, it's just a feeling. Like well, just I know, an ex- give us one example. Um, okay, th- there's a song called Sweetheart, and it's it's like um, it, it. I guess it kind of works a lot more with the guitar part. That's what I'm thinking about. Okay. The bass feels so straight that you can play it on and off 
with the guitarist. Yeah. So, and that guitar part is so dominant that, and even I guess the song and the music as a whole has been crafted so it's, it feels like it's almost ahead of the beat. Like if I slow down the groove, the song doesn't feel great. Yeah. It mucks up the guitarist. It just mucks up the feel of the song. So I guess it's listening to the song and the, what the song needs. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. regardless, we're hopping in studios and recording to music, mm. which potentially would be gridded anyway, but it doesn't yeah. detract from the fact that you still want to give uh, a song push or pull. Yeah, in, and that's in an certain endless battle areas. for a lot of drummers. Like, I think a lot of people in there that are being gridded don't necessarily love it. Yeah, I personally don't love it. I understand it, and um, and I'm okay with it. Yeah, but ideally, I would be able to decide, not decide even, because I'm I would get produced. The producer should decide, but yeah, um, I would love to be able to present the pocket and have it not touched. Yeah, but that's I'd have to be much better to be able to do that, but. Uh, Again, it it differs per style. Yeah. You know, like there is music that does that. Yeah. And I'll, it's a it's like a band thing. Yeah. And you want to capture the essence of the band and the essence of of that. And a lot of the stuff that I do is, I guess, a bit more poppy or mm. a little bit more. I don't want to say mainstream, but it's kind of like people are used to hearing. It's it's what people are used to hearing. You know. Yeah. Things that are like perfectly in time yep. and perfectly tuned. Yeah. And Do you so know what's a good example though? Oh, did I cut okay. Flume. Yeah. He, he completely destroys the beat. I love that. If anyone out there listening that wants to hear produ- highly produced music that mucks around with beat placement, often yeah. he often he's sitting back. Yeah. Check out and pretty much like most of Flume's stuff. Yeah. It's so cool the way that he Manipulates. Manipulates it. Oh yeah. my gosh, it's inspiring. I love it. I love it because I feel like people would say that f- like a lot of Flume stuff is quite popular. It's, it's totally. um, you know, it's on, a, some of his stuff's on mainstream radio. Uh, so that makes him pop, yet he is pushing the the limits of what is the norm in terms yeah. of beat placement, especially when he's literally sitting in front of a computer. Like a lot of the stuff, I mean, I don't, I don't want to... Um, suggest that I know exactly his process. I'm yeah. sure that there's live instruments and, and stuff incorporated, but I also know that he's sitting behind a computer at times doing stuff, placing sounds, and he's deliberately moving that a long way from being gridded. Yeah. Yeah, it's playing with the grid. It's which playing, are, yeah. A lot, uh, I mean, you, you talk about like Jay Diller and like a lot of hip-hop producers that would dub him, I guess, the like godfather of... Really? Yeah. Of like, not sloppy groover. I I'm, I like, know there's a term oh. for it. Questlove would know exactly what yeah. we're talking about. Oh, but, totally. But that kind of vibe, you know, you listen to D'Angelo and yep. there would not, be, oh there gosh, really wouldn't be much grid. His like his last <laughs> album was completely to tape. So they're not like even, even like pre eighties, you know, everything like to grid things, it wasn't really a thing. Yeah. It, it wasn't yeah, a thing. You a could thing. edit, but it was a pain in the butt to do it. Yeah. And so it's quite a new thing that I feel like we're almost going backwards on. It's like whenever you get some technology, you go so hard at it mm. and then you kind of revert and you find yeah. a, a really nice middle ground. And great producers nowadays are knowing what they can manipulate, what should be gridded, what gives something feel. Yeah. Um, like listen to every like so everything Mark Ronson has awesome feel you yeah. know because he he understands sampling he understands older music and yeah. he, his head is in a pop world as well so it's knowing what you can push and pull where the vocal can sit and that there's so many things to think about when you talk about groove that it's like a whole nother a whole nother series of yeah. podcasts you know but i guess like coming back to the whole like knowing where to sit on the pocket and in the song I would be playing around with that and listening to musicians that do that. And a a great way to do that is to listen to music pre-80s, which can be hard for people, you know? Like, I guess it's if if all you're listening to is something that's current, Mm. it it will be quite foreign to listen to Marvin Gaye. 100%. Push through. Oh, my gosh. Listen to Marvin Gaye. It's... And I guess it changes... I don't want to say that it changes as you get older because you sound like an old (laughs) man, but... I've always I grew up listening to funk, so it was, I guess it's always been easy for me to listen yeah. to old music because I grew up 
doing it. Um, And I know a lot of guys that I guess struggle because they they haven't grown up with that influence. But I feel like a lot of people get into it and especially the more and more you get into music, the more and more you appreciate other styles. You've said it before. You've said uh, it's one thing to refer to a band you love, but it's another thing to refer to the bands that they love. Wow. Yeah. Did you just say wow at your own at your own? I did. <laughs> I'm like saying I'm something sorry. you said, and you're like, wow, that is really profound. Gold. Whoever wanted, said that is yeah. a genius. I just wanted to quickly mention because what you were just saying then about working out. You said uh, you mentioned what you need to move to find that pocket, or what you can afford to move and what you can't. Yeah. And earlier today, we were working on a percussion track together with a, a drum beat that was already recorded. Yeah. And you and I were discussing where to place it and we were moving. It was a eight bar section or, or 16 bar section. And we were talking about moving it. And how much were we talking about moving fractions of it? Oh, we're talking like, samples. Yeah, like, samples. And, and f- I guess for that, it's like milliseconds, if like even yeah. less. You can't even, you, you, you can only see it on a screen. Like you wouldn't be able to pick you can, it. It's the things you can feel. Yeah, you, you can't feel it. hear. Yeah. You and, can hear. Oh, you definitely hear. I'm trying to... You can't see. You feel you can't see. Yeah. Like if... It's the, it's a hard thing to describe if people haven't seen uh, working, recording... Uh, like recording DLW. drums within a, a workspace. Yeah. Like if you record into Pro Tools and you're snapping something to a grid, even us talking about a grid, some people might be like, what the heck is a grid? Yeah. You know? And so it's like, it's a bar division or a subdivision, a yeah. quarter inch, eighth, sixteenth. Yeah. And lots of the time when we're doing these things, we don't just move things like s- snapping it to that yeah, to metronome to the, yeah, or the yeah. subdivision. We're often like exactly what you said. We're moving those things samples yeah. like forward or yeah. backwards and we let it, sit according to how it makes us feel yeah. not a how how it sits on the grid yeah but that's what i mean it's like it's quite often the things because lots of the time say you're doing four on the floor or like kind of a poppy track your kick and snare can be sitting right on those subdivisions yeah and everything else going with it gives it that kind of feel it might be your hi-hat groove or a ride groove that you're playing mm. but your kick and snare are sitting right on that groove yeah but then you listen i mean you listen to steve jordan you listen to I don't know, Chris Daddy Dave or, or Questlove and they're completely manipulating. Or perfect example, 1975. Yes. That track that I showed you. Yeah. Um, What's that track called? I don't know. We'll find yeah. it and I'll put it in the show notes. It was the performance that they, they gave. Oh, Sincerity is Scary? Maybe. Yeah. We'll work it out and put it in the show notes. Yeah. Anyway, he is like, um, it sounds like the groove is being manipulated and it is but it's all in the hi-hats the kick in the snare <laughs> goes is acting it out as i'm we, just as playing it in my head because it's so good and, and so the kick and the snare are actually like bang on the grid but it's it's where they're placing the hi-hats that is giving it that feel and so that's what i mean like it, it it's not necessarily like all about your kick and snare placement it it can be other things around it, yeah. but it's knowing how and when to do that yeah. that gives Anderson things Pack's the another feel. Perfect example. Perfect example. The way he hits his snare rim, yeah, it's like everything he's doing stuff, and it's like seems like everything's cruising along together, and his his rim sits out a little bit, yeah, and it's beautiful, and it's obviously it's obviously something that he's really tried to do. It's not like a mistake at all. It's beautiful, hundred percent, and so that's. I think that kind of leads me to to what I was going to say before in term when you started talking about metronome mm. and like say doing paradiddles and yeah. being perfect and what makes something a good drummer like even the or a good musician it, regardless good drummer good musician I believe is personality um and the thing I'm trying to learn or get across a bit more is who am I as a person on the drums. Yeah. Like what is attractive about the way that I play for people or the way that you play for people that people go, Oh man, I love Cobes' drumming. Yeah. It's like, why? Yeah. Because there's, if you listen to it or you listen to a Travis Barker, whatever, whatever he's playing on, you kind of go, I know that's Travis Barker. Yeah. And there's a sonic quality to it. There's a performance quality. 
it's their sound. There's yeah. there's an attitude about it. And I feel like now more than ever, people are attracted to personalities and the way that that is translated within music. Yeah, like Sterloid. Like the stuff that he's he's done. Yeah, 100%. And that's his... I guess it's injecting who you are into what you are doing Yeah, that is attractive to people. Obviously, you've got to be able to execute and, and perform, but they people want your brain yeah on what they're doing and another word for brain in this podcast is musicianship totally <laughs> <laughs> because if you're just a good drummer or if you're just a good bass player then you yeah. you don't yet have necessarily what it takes to be like this is my brand this is my flavor yeah cuz you just you just you're the guy or the girl that plays really in time yeah or plays very like you play really um sophisticated or whatever you know yeah like you can you execute yeah you can execute there. but they're looking for your flair yeah. and your personality yeah so i would i would kind of be like i don't i don't know be i think for me i'm kind of learning that i need to be a bit bolder mm. and a bit more I don't want to say comfortable in your own shoes, like being true to you, being feel like actually allowing yourself to feel you yeah. and go, what, what does Grant want to convey through this beat? Cause I got the beat. I know the beat. I yeah. rehearse the beat. I'm not going to get up here and play a different beat, but I can play from a different place. I can play from a different mindset. I can find the pocket. I can decide this is where I'm going to sit. There's so many ways you can convey a message on your instrument. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah i i think it's one of those things that the more i'm learning the more like i feel like it's better to be there's that saying i might butcher please butcher it i've got to get this right fingers across it's better no it's worse (laughs) wait 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 oh my goodness i had it on i literally had it on the tip of my head (laughs) on the tip of your head (laughs) (laughs) it's better to no, you know how you know how some people say, I would prefer to apologize than ask for permission. Yeah. That whole thing about like I I think I'm at now at the stage where I would prefer to go, this is me. Yeah. And just be like I love that. Good. This is what I do. Yeah. And then someone get it and be like, ah, yeah, kind of not after this. And what a place being to like, be. Okay, cool. Sorry, I'll try something different. I'm pumped for you. That's yeah. a great place to be. Rather, I know that. I've been there. Rather than like, oh, do you, would you mind if yeah. I, would you mind if I did this yeah. this way? Just you be have like, to earn that. Eh. Like, yeah, totally. I wouldn't encourage everyone to go out there just being like, this is me and, and <laughs> not respecting me. where you sit. But By the way, that's you- a Greatest Showman song. <laughs> have a listen. Watch The Greatest <laughs> Showman. We could learn a lot from that. Yeah. Uh, but you, uh, what I'm saying is you need to earn that position. Yeah. Just as like a little disclaimer. I think you prove your yes. your worth. You don't. There's a difference between confidence and arrogance. Yes, that is exactly the way to say it. Put it that way. Yeah. That I think arrogance is quite unattractive. Yeah. And it's all in the way you approach it. The the difference being right. If I presented something and said, "This is what I think. This is my best foot forward. I'm giving it who I am." Yeah. And then it coming back and someone going, oh, "I don't really like that." I would go, "Okay, cool." What are you after? I'll try my best to put my next best foot yeah. forward that is more appropriate to what you want. Yeah. With my same, they're obviously coming to me for a reason. Yeah. You know, otherwise. Yeah, that's the they team would go player to part else. of it that we were talking and about. And arrogance would be, well, screw it. That yeah. was my. I've thing. laid it down. It's yeah. Tracked. Take we're it or good leave to go. it. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly. And so I guess that is the more attractive thing about it. Yeah. You mentioned a second ago about being bold. And I think that's really important, but it actually uh, segues really well to another point that I wanted to bring up, yeah. which is leaving room for others, which obviously would kind of be being able to also be timid or not timid, but being also being um, prepared to sit back and let someone else shine. Yeah, That's important in musicianship. It's not all about you. Yeah. Everyone knows that. But uh, one way to do that is to respect and understand that... Uh, Others need to shine and sometimes a lot of the time they need to shine and you just need to be really supportive. Yeah. And other times you need to be sensitive to moments when someone else is standing out and doing something. The easiest way to talk about that is with melody. It's one of the most important parts of yeah. what we're doing in, in 
playing songs with with vocals totally and um so you really need to support that and ways that you support that um can be by emph- uh, putting emphasis on various parts of the melody um another example would be chord changes respecting those chord changes as a drummer we're not changing chords but we can still help those chord progressions Mm. Um, and that doesn't mean playing every single one of them at exactly the same moment but it is being aware of them and when you're sitting in your bedroom playing the drums uh, you're not hearing those chord, chord changes all the time you know maybe you're playing along with something else well sorry with with like a song someone's already determined the beat you're just playing along to the beat you either can be mindful of why they wrote that beat and why the beat is the way it is in relation to a melody or in relation to a chord change, a chord progression, Um, or you can just play it. And I feel like a lot of us might find ourselves just playing it and and just embracing that beat, which is cool. And you're going to become a better drummer the more beats you learn and the more times you play that sort of stuff. But what will make you a better musician is trying to comprehend why the beats were written like that and what they represent so that you can recreate that when you're being creative with yeah. a band, with an ensemble. Totally. Yeah, it's all about it's all about placement and knowing why and where things are happening. Yeah. You know, I, quite often us as drummers think we're the only rhythmical component mm. to music, but everything, literally every other sound yeah. in there is a rhythm. Yep. Like you can't have melody without rhythm. And so I think it's understanding how a, how a melody is written, the rhythms that they're using, the spacing, the phrasing, all of that kind of stuff, you know. Oh, who was it? Um, Aaron Spears. I went to a clinic with Aaron Spears and he, um, he was talking about um, how he used to um, play to all of, all of these rap records and he would mimic the, the patterns that they were doing. And so that's how he started to learn all of these separate different rhythms. You know, they were playing along and he was mimicking exactly what they were saying. Wow. And so it taught him a completely different flow over listening to, as in with his hi-hats. Yeah. Because someone was like, how are you doing all this cool stuff with your hats? And he was kind of like, well, I kind of learned it from mimicking what I was listening to. Yeah. And so I guess especially in that genre, you don't want to get in the way of that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's why it's so much like kick, snare, you know, 808s, like a lot of that is the groove and especially old hip hop, you like it's like eighth or quarter notes on the hi-hats. Yeah. And trap stuff didn't come in until later. But even even then, like you listen to a lot of producers talk and, and they will put that stuff in the gaps yeah. of the vocals. Gaps are so important. Yeah. And knowing when you can fill a gap and w- when you shouldn't. Yeah. And talking about like chord when progressions. It's your turn. Yeah. Like I guess knowing the the most simple way to do that is to put the kick on the chord movement, mm. which is most how most yeah. music. But then happens. sometimes it's like it's too much. Sometimes it's cheesy. Sometimes it's whatever. So that's that's when it takes a wise musician to yeah. know what's important and what's not. And if you're playing bass, then you're playing the chord changes already. Yeah. But if you're playing drums you're deciding, you're picking and choosing. And the way you pick and choose is a, is a representation of your musicality. Totally. But I mean, I was recording bass this week and it was kind of like, should we hit all of those piano movements? Yeah. Or should we, do you know what I mean? Great so call. it's like, Great call. you can, like say you've got a piano that's just doing kind of four on the floor, singer songwriter. Should the bass be going with all can of those movements? you still call it four on the floor when it's piano? I, I don't like know. that. Yeah. Yeah. We're two drummers. We're going to call whatever we want for on the floor. Okay. They were playing Quavers. Yeah. <laughs> and so, no, but literally we're like, okay, should we follow that or should we just hit the whole note and mm. let it ring out? Mm. Like what is more effective? What, what? And that's the thing. Like, I don't want to say like learn another instrument. Like you should be aware of the other instruments or their use or their place yeah. within music and educate yourself about those things, yeah. you know? A good way to do that is to learn another instrument. Yeah. And another way to do that if you haven't or can't learn another instrument at the moment is 
put more emphasis on developing a relationship with those people or yeah. just with someone that plays another instrument. So my relationships with some bass players uh, has been really important to me. Yeah. Uh, I rely on them for their insight into their instrument and how their instrument relates to mine, totally. not just how mine relates to theirs. Yeah. And so we have a chat about that and I go, like I've I've kind of dissected sections with a bass player that I that I work with often, GHO, sick, sick bass player. Uh, and we've sat there and we've talked about what is important in this beat. What yeah. like she and I have written a beat together um, for a section, and then we've gone, what I, I'm thinking of one specific moment when we uh, then tore it apart and we're like, let's rewrite it. Let's try to make it better. But yeah. um, get rid of a ton and but trying to work out what is important. And if I did that alone- The core integrity of it. Yeah, I, yeah. we wanted to work out the core integrity. And so uh, I would encourage other drummers to do that. And yeah. one way is to learn the bass, one way is to learn the keys, but another way is to chat with the keyboard player or chat with the guitarist and go, what do you see in this that's essential? What's yeah. the core part? What's the motif in this moment? Yeah. What can we do away with? Yeah. Or vice versa. What do I need to add to actually get across the motif that we're trying to create here? Yeah. Totally. Or the feel that we're trying to create here. Yeah. And I guess that that's all a discussion musically and, and verbally. Totally. You know, it's like, what is the message we're trying to convey yeah. and how do we best convey that? Yeah. Like there's been times where I've been mucking around with a bass player that I don't know too well, or even some that I do know well. <laughs> and we'll be, we'll play something off the cuff. Like we'll, we'll be playing a section and I'll do something. Usually I'll do something. And then I'll be like, okay, first beat. They didn't catch. They obviously, they didn't do exactly what I did. Fine. Yeah. Like how are you supposed to read minds? Right. And then the next bar, they didn't do it as well. And I'm like, maybe they're saying something to me. You're like, maybe they're like, no, this is either it. Yeah. Or, nah, come with me. I think I'm like really confident that this is good. <laughs> and I'm like, cool. You know, that, that's a way we communicate. And it's ideally there would be no moments where we're not together. But if you're going into an unrehearsed section and a decision has to be made and you yeah. don't read minds, which ha can happen a lot, then that's the kind of dialogue on stage. You're like, oh, who's, who's it's kind of like chicken. <laughs> who's going to flinch first? Who's going to be the one to go, yep, you're beat. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite ones are where like you are, you are actually in tune with the bass yeah. player and you both play a, f a different first bar. Let's say, let's yes. say it's a, a two bar phrase. Yeah. And so you both play the first two bars different yeah. and then you both swap. Oh my God. So they're playing your pattern yeah. and you have just swapped to their yeah. pattern. And then you're looking at each other just being like, now which one yeah, are we going to do? It's like scissors, paper, rock. Yeah. And then you, you like might end up on the same one or no. like, yeah, you kind of like, <laughs> okay, cool. Now I'm going to, I'm going to stick on the B phrase and then the drummer goes back to yeah. the A and you're like, oh my goodness. But that is actually like when that happens, it feels so cool because oh. no one else really, really cares. It's not going to matter that much yeah. in that kind of a setting, but it's one of those conversations yeah. that you're having and you're kind of like, I love that you are listening yeah. and they're saying to you, I love that you are listening yeah. and I'm respecting what you have just yeah. done yeah. and have changed as a result. Yeah. It just happens that we've never actually yeah. aligned on the same thing. <laughs> they're my favorite. I've, that's so happened a funny. few times, a fair few times. And I'm like, that is golden. Yeah. Or you're trying to remember a beat or a song and you kind of like, I've had like bass players try and like mime the kick pattern to me yeah. and I've been, completely out of touch with what they're saying and yeah. thought they were saying the SPD. Oh, like really? The, and so I'm like, because they're like pointing and then like hitting. <laughs> they never point and right. So, <laughs> and I'm like, the awkwardest I'll thing. go and play like this yeah. SPD thing like, no. and they're looking at me like, what are what you is, doing? Yeah. And then they're so like, I'm I don't like, even have an SPD on my imaginary <laughs> drum kit. <laughs> and so you're trying to just fudge your way through this song yeah. and you're like, I, I may have heard this once yeah. and I'm trying to, figure it out and then it just flops and you just play something completely random and you get off stage and you're like, ah, yeah, maybe I'll stop playing drums for a while. <laughs> You've gone really specific with this hypothetical. I'm sorry. I like it. What next? Um, well, so you, you wanted to talk a little bit about integrity of the song. So how, again, like this whole topic we're talking about is um, being just a drummer or being a great musician. Yeah. So, why is it important to know like the integrity of a song? Like, why is it important to know a song well and to play it well? 
Yeah, I, th- I think when I said, when we vaguely talked about this before hit mm. and record, I was kind of like- You mean when we specifically planned everything <laughs> we were going to say? You were sitting there writing out pages of notes while I was doing something else. And then I said, let's hit record. That's what I mean by vague and you yeah. being specific. So the integrity of the song, I think it all comes down to like what to play when. Mm. And uh, I guess just a drummer would do what they, I don't, I don't, it's, I guess it's joining the feeling and the thinking and using what you think is right and what you feel is right. Cause mm. quite often what you feel might not be in line with what someone was intending. Yeah. And so for me, I'm trying to listen to the song. What do they, cause quite often drums are, they're so essential, but they are, are completely supportive at the same time. Yeah. And often as drummers, we think that we are essential. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We love to be essential. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> quite often people will say, if if it's a good song, you could play it on a piano and a vocal and a guitar on a vocal yeah. and it's a song. Yeah. Like a song is a song, which we've also talked about yeah. in, in other regards. I think I'm not yeah, trying to I'm not trying there's, to there's truth in that but there's also truth in the fact that the drums add a heck of a lot. 100%. Yeah. I'm not trying to disregard yeah. drums or completely just say drums are so important. Yeah. It's this middle ground that I feel like a lot of musicians understand that they know their time to shine. It's like they know they're super important but completely supportive yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Such a good and, way of putting it, man. And so it's this constant juggle of knowing when to be complex, when to be simple, what yeah. they're trying to communicate. It's so complicated because yeah. you're trying to quite often, if you've been there, if you're in a band setting and you're writing the song collectively, it's yeah. what you're all trying to say yeah. and what you want to convey as a band. But quite often it's a singer or a writer that has presented a song and you're trying to communicate what they want to say. Yeah. And so knowing the integrity of the song is kind of going, okay, what's the message of the song? Where can I speak? Mm. Where can I contribute? Yeah. What do I physically do to best communicate that yeah, song? Exactly. And a lot and of that is in dynamics. Yeah. And one of the things that, that makes me think is like, say we're trying to do a rendition of, um, of oh, we talked earlier about Hotel California. Yeah. But say it's, a, it's like a two-piece or a three-piece in a really intimate environment, then the drummer or the musician in that um, situation has a responsibility to themselves determine what's the motif, what's essential, what do I got to bring, um, knowing that I don't have a full drum kit set up mic'd with a metronome yeah. and a thingy, you know, like I'm sitting here on a cajon yeah. or I'm playing a shaker and a kick drum or I don't know, whatever totally. you've decided to play. Then you automatically find yourself in that situation where you have to make a mature musical decision as to what's important but you you don't you can't reproduce it because you don't have the instrument in front of you to do so yeah and that's where that's where um being true to the song and having a mature uh opinion or uh appreciation for what was written Mm. um will allow you to recreate that with the medium that you have available 100 percent and uh, finally, I think it's probably just worth mentioning the pocket and how warming up helps you settle into that pocket. I think um, warming up is essential. It's vital. Uh, if, if you think you can uh, jump on the drums or jump on the bass cold. Oh, actually, I can't speak into bass because I don't play, but I'm assuming it's the same. Anyway, as a drummer. It's even a mental thing. Yeah. But I think you, um, everyone out there needs to be warming up before they play. They can't expect to settle into the pocket out of the blue yeah. unless you're a freak or amazing or whatever. I think that – and then if you are, then you should be doing it for health reasons alone. Yeah. But definitely be warming up and getting into uh, the feel of what you're about to do before you have to do it officially. Yeah, 100%. That's going to help your musicality. There was this podcast I was telling you about with Dave Elich. Mm. The remember the guy I was telling you about in terms of like like helping guys recover technique wise or helping them get into a better spot touring yeah. and stuff. And oh, he yeah. he was saying he has kind of stopped warming up in a traditional sitting down 
stagnant mm. doing singles doubles yeah and he's like now he'll like he'll skip for five minutes wow. or he'll do star jumps or yeah. things that actually get him physically in a position of not exhaustion but he doesn't want to get five minutes in and be like oh i'm glad yeah. that song's done because yeah. now i feel like better i'm breathing in a in a better position yeah, not I've saying you guilty yeah not saying you don't have to warm up your hands or anything like that. But I think a combination of the two. So I've, I've started doing like, you know, just getting my body warmer, yep. which helps me settle quicker when I start playing. Yeah. Cause even the nerves of playing, like people might be so nervous. So getting yourself into a position of like, of breathing better or like physically exerting yourself, I find can, can even help if yeah. you, if you are, one of those guys that you kind of get nervous and yeah. takes you a song or two to start breathing properly. Yeah, you know? get the blood flowing. Breathing is so important. It's one of those things. I went to a guy here, Gordon Rittmeister. I think I did a w- one lesson with him. I should do more. But he was kind of like, oh, you're holding your breath when you do fills. Are you? Yeah. Or were you? I was. And and I also, I think it was a Benny Greb thing as well that I was listening to. And they kind of happened at the same time. And I was like, wow. And so because I'm not breathing through a fill, your body, what does your body naturally do if you can't breathe? You know, you're you're tense. And so you do things like you might rush a fill so you can catch your breath. Things that you're not, you're doing subconsciously that you might rush a fill. Your body's making you do it. Yeah. Your body's making you rush through something so you can grab a breath. And why are you out of breath? going do you know what i mean like sometimes yes we are physically exerting ourselves which i have been doing on tour but i don't find my i find myself less out of breath and allowing myself to settle into grooves a lot better so take note it's honestly now that i've said it some people will listen to it and be like oh wow i did hold my breath through that Mm. you know it, it's it's crazy i've never to, focused more on my breath than hearing you talk about this right now like, I, I feel like i'm not breathing and i'm like nervous about whether i'm breathing yeah. right now it's crazy no seriously once you become aware of it and you play something and you'll be like oh my goodness yeah. i'm pretty sure benny greb even breathes in time like oh, really he, well i for some things it might be a practice thing in terms okay. of playing and, and practicing in terms of breathing in and out in time and allowing your... Because there's so many things that determine your inner feel, your inner metronome, hmm. you know, and breathing is one of them. Wow. I did never paid attention to it. Yeah. that I need to. I can, like, it makes so much sense to me that that plays a part in how you play. Totally. Do, I think there's you, so many things physiologically with our body that determine how we sound. Yeah. And we are either not conscious of them in a good thing. Like I look at like George from the 1975, yeah. like the way he sits and the way he holds himself is something that determines his sound. Yeah. Like Steve Jordan yeah. is prime example. Questlove, like all of these guys, like he is so chill on the drums and it is like watch Questlove play drums. Yeah. And he's like, if he's moving, it's because he's bopping to the music. Yeah. It's not because he's doing anything to exert himself. Yeah. And there's other guys that like Travis Barker and you hear it in his sound. His arms are all over the place. Yeah. But he's a great drummer, great mm. technique. Like, Yeah, it's got nothing to do with that yeah. necessarily. So it's like knowing the way that you move determines your sound. It's yeah. so like, it sounds so simple when we're talking about it with drums. We're yeah. physically hitting things. So the way our arms move to hit those things will determine the way that they sound. Yep. So I guess being conscious of that, and I guess that comes down to personality as well. Yeah. And the whole thing, injecting who you are into your playing, how yeah. you move. Yeah. If you're a chill dude and you're doing chill music, like that's a good thing, you yeah. know, like it's, I'm not saying you have to go and be huge and no, big and bold, not at all. but if the music is asking for that, yeah, potentially figure out a way for you to sound and the way you look and the and the way you move to be reflected in that as well yes in a healthy way yeah definitely because there's guys that do it and just they're screwed 10 years later yeah you know phil collins is one of them hopefully i won't be one of them no you won't be one of them but you know what i mean it's like guys that are not conscious of themselves from a health perspective yeah anyway Unreal. Well, I think that's it from me. Is that it from you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for listening. 
Um, do share this podcast with your friends. If you've got a drummer that you're mates with or someone in your band, um, we'd love for them to be listening as well. And send through your questions because we want to make sure that the topics we're picking to talk about are topics that you're interested in listening about, <laughs> listening it. to. So, yeah, thank you guys so much and we'll see you soon. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to the Bottega podcast. Follow us at bottega.co on Instagram and btga.co online. And a special shout out to Harrison Wood. Thank you for making the amazing Bottega theme song. Oh,